RadioInfluence.com. This is Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. A look inside the biggest and most controversial news stories you need to know now. One of the country's most relied upon law enforcement analysts, Vincent Hill. She's running. In Tulsa, police run over an armed suspect. We got one subject down in front of the Cosmo. He's underneath the bus stop. A lone shooter holds a bus hostage in Las Vegas. The music was playing, and then within the music, they were selling, yelling to get the security to the floor. There wasn't nobody coming. So it was a big brawl going on in there before the security even got there. 16 shot and one dead at a nightclub in Cincinnati. And a Louisiana officer is convicted of manslaughter in the shooting death of a six-year-old. Good evening and welcome to Beyond the Badge. I am your host, Vincent Hill. And as you could hear, there's a lot of ground to cover this evening. A lot of stuff going on in the world of policing. A lot of stuff going on in the world, period, that we want to cover on tonight's show. But before I get into the bad of the world, before I get into the negative aspect of policing, I want to talk about, for just a few minutes, a very brave individual who just became a police officer this past week. Montez Ferreira, 28 years old, is believed to be the first full active duty double amputee officer in the United States history. He graduated the Suffolk County, New York Police Department this past week. And what makes that very special is he didn't want any help. He never asked for any special treatment. He passed all the physical fitness tests. He passed the shooting Everything that's required of the police academy and speaking from someone that went to a six month academy, I knew people that had all of their limbs and that were perfectly healthy that couldn't make it. But this individual, 28 year old, year old uh, Matez Ferreira, actually graduated the academy in Suffolk County, New York. He is uh, now sworn to full time active duty on that police department. Uh, not only does this make him a great police officer, but he's a. American hero, in my opinion. He lost his legs over in Iraq in 2010 while he was out fighting for this country. He stepped on an IED and lost both of his legs uh, at the knees. So my hat's off to him. He lived his dream. He said he always wanted to be a police officer. He didn't let even having no legs stop him from doing that. So I want you to think about that the next time you say you can't do something. Just look at this guy. Look what he did. No legs. He still went out, fulfilled his dream, and never asked for any special treatment. He's a rock star. He's a hero. Now, at the top of the show, I, I played some sound uh, from Tulsa Police body cam or dash cam uh, audio, and this happened Thursday, March 18th, where a young lady jumped out of a truck. Yes, I said young lady. White young lady jumped out of a truck. Uh, 21-year-old Madison Dixon. She began to flee from police. She was wanted in another shooting where she was accused of shooting someone in the head and wanted for, I think, a, a robbery at Best Buy uh, back on March 11th, where she actually discharged a firearm as well. So police found the truck that she was in. She was a passenger. She jumps out. And as you can hear in the audio, shots fired, shots fired. And, you know, I always say that police are trained to eliminate the threat, right? The threat of the person with the gun. So Miss Dixon, Madison Dixon, 
had a gun. You can see it in the dash cam footage. The shots that were exchanged were between her and another officer. And at some point, you can see uh, Madison Dixon with the gun in her hand. Again, this is captured on dash cam video, which I will post on my Twitter. And she begins to point it at the patrol car that's approaching. So here's where it gets interesting. That officer in that patrol car, to eliminate the threat, ran over Madison Dixon. I believe it killed her instantly because it wasn't like he hit her and she rolled off. No, he ran over her with his entire vehicle and she died there at the scene, I believe. Now, of course, there's a lot of people saying it was uh, unjustified. It was horrific. Yeah, I guess it's all a matter of perspective, right? Because here's a young lady who had shot someone in the head the prior week who had robbed a store with a gun and discharged a weapon, who was shooting openly in the street in the middle of the day with a loaded gun, where there's cars, there's people going around in the street. The officer had to eliminate the threat, right? So if he gets out of his car, guess what? Now he's in the line of fire of her gun, just like the other officers that were returning fire were in her line of fire. So... We can say it's horrific. We can say it probably should have went a different way. But the fact remains, and I know some people don't want to hear it. The fact remains that officer at that given moment, remember the split second decision making that officers have to do, thought that that was the best way to eliminate the threat. And she was a threat because she's shooting not only at police, those bullets, once they leave the gun, don't necessarily have to hit police, right? We know this. And police knew that she was very dangerous. Like I said, she had shot the one individual in the head. On the 11th, she robbed the Best Buy and discharged a firearm. The very next day, she shot a woman in the arm outside of a Walgreens when she wouldn't get out of her car. So was she trying to carjack her? What was she doing? Was she trying to rob her? The fact is, police knew that this young lady who, for whatever reason, skipped out on her drug treatment uh, just weeks before, was a very dangerous person. She had also stolen a deputy's patrol car two years prior while she was handcuffed. So not only is she Houdini, and it happens in policing more than you think when their patrol cars get stolen, she's a very dangerous felon who police are chasing. So the threat, a fleeing suspect, and what you have to do to shoot a fleeing felon, felon, everything was there when this officer decided to run her over with his patrol car. Is that an action I would have taken? I don't know. I was not there. So I definitely don't want a Monday morning quarterback this officer's decision, but his decision to stop the threat was right, regardless of how He stopped the threat. His decision to stop the threat was dead on right. Of course, as standard procedure, uh, the three officers are now on administrative leave. And when I say three, the officer that uh, ran her over and the two officers that were returning fire with her when she decided to jump out of the truck and begin to shoot at them. But honestly, I don't really think there will be any charges out of this and To me, it's kind of funny that a lot of mainstream media 
didn't report on this, and we, of course, know why that is, because here we have a 21-year-old white female, and it doesn't really fit the agenda of what the media tries to spoo down our throats. But it's a story that needs to be told because it talks about our documents how at any given second the officer has to make decisions that other people would think were barbaric, would think that were horrific, would think that were a crime, but it was only used to eliminate the threat. And that's why it's important to tell these stories. All right, imagine you're out in Vegas, and you know, a lot of us love to go to Vegas to gamble, to see the shows, to do whatever you do in Vegas, get married, whatever you do. But imagine you're out in Vegas. You're on a bus, the bus stops, you're getting ready to get off, and you hear gunshots. Well, that's exactly what happened this past Saturday out in Las Vegas. Uh, one individual was shot and killed. 55-year-old uh, Rolando Cardenas is the accused shooter. Uh, and police are saying he had really no motive. So here's a guy that was just sitting on the bus, decided for whatever reason to stand up and start shooting people, as the bus uh, had stopped there, and it happened around 11 a.m. Saturday morning in Las Vegas. And I remember I was actually sitting, uh, I think, at a car dealership with a friend, or maybe we were still at lunch. But I remember them saying, hey, there's a, a standoff in Las Vegas about an armed suspect on a bus. And I thought, well, that's kind of weird. Las Vegas, really not a place where you would suspect that. But in this day and age, unfortunately, it can happen anywhere, right? I mean, this is the pattern we've seen for the last few years. Uh, so I believe one individual, again, uh, was killed. I think he died later at the hospital. One individual was shot in the stomach, but he's expected to make a full recovery. Of course, uh, Rolando Cardenas' attorney is not saying much at this time of what may have motivated him to do the shooting. Police do not suspect it's terror-related. I don't suspect it's terror-related, but it just goes back to the whole adage of bad guys don't get guns via gun control methods, right? Bad guys don't get guns via gun control methods. I think when this comes out, you're going to learn that this guy... Mr. Cardenas did not go to a local gun store to purchase that gun that he used on Saturday. But let's look at what police had to do while, while all this was going on, right? So you have this guy on the bus. He just shot two people. Of course, now he's barricaded himself in. He's still armed. So police not only have to contain that situation and get the negotiators out, the robots, the armored vehicles, all that stuff to surround the bus. But they also have to do what? Protect and serve. So imagine what Las Vegas police had to do. They had to go to all the local casinos in the area and basically tell people, hey, you need to bunker down, don't move. We have an active shooting situation going on right now. So that was a whole big effort based on the shooting that happened on the bus, and I don't think a lot of people realize if they're just focused on the bus what police actually have to do in a situation like this because you still have to protect life. Not only maintain contact and visuals on the suspect, but you have to maintain 
life as well. So finally, after about four hours, uh, the guy gives himself up without incident. He's being held, of course, in a Los Angeles County jail without bond, facing one count of murder, one count of attempted murder. And I'm sure police investigators are trying to figure out what, if any, was his motivation. I mean, did he stick out on the bus? Did anybody pick up any clues that this guy may have done this? I mean, those are the questions that investigators will ask. They, of course, will be doing interviews of everybody that was on the bus, because that's another part that police still have to do, right? They have to figure out maybe was there an argument between the two that were shot or was this guy just some random guy who decided to get on a bus on a Saturday morning at 11 o'clock and attempt to kill two people and succeed in killing one person. Now, jumping from that shooting over to Cincinnati, I actually had to talk about this on the news on Sunday night. You got 15 injured, one dead at a nightclub in Cincinnati, the Cameo nightclub, which, first of all, maybe part of it is because I'm such an old dude and I don't want to be the old dude in the club. This is part of the reason I stopped going to clubs 20 years ago. And the second part to this shooting that really, really troubles me and bothers me is that this club, the Cameo Club, has a history of gun violence. But yet, according to witnesses, there was a separate line where if you wanted to give the security guard 40 or $50, you didn't have to get patted down and wanted to get in the club. What kind of crap is that? There's a reason they had the wands and the metal detectors there at this club. Because like I just said, there was a history of gun violence at the club. So somebody's lining their pockets with $50 a pop to make sure that people don't have to get searched to go in this club. Well, first of all, of course, police quickly determined this wasn't a act just like the Pulse nightclub in Orlando, where it was an act of terrorism, an alleged, alleged act of terrorism. This was a group of people having a dispute. You heard uh, during the sound that I played at the top of the show where the guy said that the argument broke out and security didn't get there fast enough before the fight broke out and yada, yada, yada. And what did that lead to? One person dead, 15 people injured. Police are still actively looking for the shooter or shooters because they believe it was more than one, but l no more than two. So I assume they're looking for two shooters uh, in this incident. And one of the things I said on the news, uh, how people can keep themselves safe at a club. Again, it's been forever since I've been to a club, right? And I know it's been like 20 plus years. But, you know, I mentioned, you know, the run hide or fight syndrome that most experts will tell you to do in an active shooting situation. But I want you to think about this for one second, right? When the person who is being shot at is running and they know they're about to be shot out and they shot at and they start running and everyone starts running in the same direction. Guess what? What do you end up with? One person dead, 15 people injured. Now, 
I'm no security expert by any means, but I've been in some tight quarters where stuff has hit the fan and guns have come out. My suggestion, if you want to survive this, A, when you go in a location, know where your exits are. That's simple. Not the one you came in, but know where the other exits are in case stuff does happen. And here's another thing. You can't fight a bullet. I don't care how good your skills are. When that bullet comes out of that gun, you don't win when it's coming your way. This ain't the movies. This ain't Superman, Man of Steel, where you can catch it with your teeth. When that bullet comes out of the gun, you can't fight it. You can't outrun said bullet either. So in most situations, the best thing to do is duck and hide. Because while everyone else is running in the same direction of the shooter, the same direction the shooter is shooting, those that are hiding back in a corner are the ones that are surviving. Now, clearly, I don't want to tell people, hey, don't go out again. Don't live your life. Don't ever have fun. That's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is know how to handle the situation. If you're ever in it, know the signs of the situation. If you're ever in it, because you heard the witness say a fight broke out. It started as an argument. Then it escalated to a fight. And history shows us usually at nightclubs, especially ones that have had history of gun violence. If arguments break out and fights break out, the next thing to break out are guns. So you should be making your escape right around that time that argument breaks out. Some people may call you a punk. Some people may call you weak. They may call you whatever if you leave when that situation occurs. But guess what? You don't become one of the 15 injured and you don't become the one dead person. Now on to uh, Marksville, Louisiana, where a six-year-old autistic kid was killed. This actually happened back November 3rd of 2015. And I remember actually reporting on this story uh, on Al Jazeera when it first happened. Uh, so the the nuts and bolts, uh, police were in a chase with uh, a driver of a vehicle uh, at some point, he finally stopped. Christopher Few is his name. Um, he stopped, and two officers, two deputies, uh, fired 18 shots. Now, of course, this got national attention because the uh, driver was shot, uh, Christopher Few. His son was shot and killed. He died there on the scene. Uh, they were white. The officers were black. Uh, just this past week, one of the officers, Officer uh, Derek Stafford, was found guilty of a lesser charge of manslaughter and attempted manslaughter. The original charges were uh, murder and attempted murder, but a jury came back and found him guilty of manslaughter and attempted manslaughter. Now, of course, right now, again, Stafford is black. His sister has gone on record saying that the decision was based solely on race. Uh, Stafford's attorney said, well... They charged them too fast, and had this been a white officer, it would have taken longer, and they would have played the race card with the white officer. Well, I disagree with everything that his sister said and his attorney said. I look at the facts of the case, and I'm sure as the jury did as well. Now, like I said, there was a pursuit. The vehicle stopped. Now, uh, Stafford and his uh, co-defendant, their story was that... 
they believe Few was going to throw the vehicle in reverse and attempt to ram one of them. The only issue is there were other officers on the scene who did not sense that imminent fear and they never fired their weapon. And there's a bigger problem. It was caught on one of the officer's body cam. And that officer testified, I did not fire my weapon because I did not believe I was in danger or the other officers with me were in danger. So where it gets really interesting and really sickening, and the sad part is this little boy lost his life. And you know I support police when they're right. This Stanford guy, Stafford, Officer Stafford, had already been accused of excessive force in the past, and so did his co-defendant, Officer Greenhouse. Stafford himself was actually indicted on rape in 2011, but he was reinstated to the department after the prosecutor dismissed the charges. Now, that's a pretty serious charge of rape, whether the charges were dropped or not, do you really want that stain on your department that you have an accused rapist working as a police officer? Not only an accused rapist, but one that had been charged, or at least the allegation of using excessive force in the past. So you got lawsuits of excessive force, you got allegations of rape but yet this guy is still on the street but yet this his sister is on the news saying how we're from a great family we have good values well i don't doubt that you were raised in a good family with good values but how does someone accuse you of rape if you have those good values how do people sue you for excessive force if you have those good values now i know yes somebody can sue you for anything they don't have to prove it. They can just say he, he did this and they can sue you. But at some point, when did this department say, you know what? Maybe as a liability, we should not have this guy on our department. Let's think about had he done that. I'm willing to bet that this six-year-old who died there in his dad's truck and his dad didn't find out until six days later when he came out of a coma that his little boy was dead. Let's say that the police department did get rid of Stanford, Stafford, did get rid of Greenhouse during those lawsuits. This little kid would still be alive. And I, I truly don't believe it has anything to do with race. And I remember talking to my mom about this when it first happened. And she's like, oh, they're going to jail because they're black. Well, I don't think that's why they went to jail. You got other officers. You got Body cam footage, which shows there was no threat. There was no imminent threat of serious bodily injury to Stafford, to Greenhouse, or to the other officers there on the scene. And that is what got him convicted. Because if it was out to get the black man, they would have got him on the murder charge, right? Why not get him on the murder charge if it's just out to get the black man? But no, I think the evidence showed that the officer was not justified in using deadly force. And had the little kid been black, given the same circumstances, I think Stafford would have been found guilty of manslaughter. Had he been Chinese, I think he would have been found guilty 
of manslaughter. Had he been an alien, I think he would have been found guilty of manslaughter given the exact same circumstances, the exact same evidence, and the exact same witnesses who said, I was not in fear of my life. Therefore, I did not fire my weapon. I'll be curious to see how the other trial goes for Officer Greenhouse, but I got a feeling it's going to go the exact same way because you have the exact same details in that case. And now it's the time of the show that I call Roll Call. And tonight I want to do something different. Instead of spotlighting one officer, I want to spotlight the 29 officers across this country. That's 28 men and one female officer who have been killed in the line of duty in 2017. I want to thank every one of them for their service, their selfless service to the community and to their families and to their loved ones. Without them, we wouldn't be able to walk the streets the way we do. Without them, there's a lot of stuff that you don't know that goes on behind the scenes that police take care of. I assure you of that. So I want to thank them for their service. Godspeed to them. My prayers to their family. I want to thank you for listening. And of course, catch me right here next week, RadioInfluence.com, and available for downloads immediately after the show on iTunes. Thank you and good night. To continue the conversation, get updates on the show, and to find out when you can see him on television, follow Vincent on Twitter at Vincent Hill TV. That's at Vincent Hill TV. This has been Beyond the Badge on Radio Influence. This is a fabulous sports babe, Quick Fix on Radio Influence. Well, how can it be? First, I thought, okay, Kyrie Irving's got this thing and he thinks the earth is flat. It's okay. Well, now Shaq believes that the earth is flat. Now, I don't want to say anything, but this guy's got a PhD from Barry University. I know it used to be a girls' college, but it's not a real girls' college anymore, as they used to call it. It's a pretty, he has a PhD from education, and he believes that the world is flat. And he said, well, I drive from Florida to California, and I don't see me going up and down a lot. And I don't understand why the buildings don't fall over. And I'm just, you know, I think to myself, what is it that makes it? He said, well, anything you see, they can manipulate it, and you can see it on your phone. I don't know about you, but I remember when I didn't have a phone. And I sort of have a feeling you remember when you didn't have a phone either. One time they brought, he was just the, when he was first in, uh, in Orlando, his first year, and they brought him up. It was the first time they were coming to see Seattle. And I was there, and they let me go down and talk with him. And I sat next to him. If you can just imagine, my head was like at his waist. And I put my foot next to his, and he had a foot that was like 23, 24, and I've got like a seven and a half foot. I mean, it was like three times the size of me. It was just amazing because, you know, you, I mean, guys are big, but this guy was enormous. But Shaq is telling everybody but he believes that the world is flat. And I'm thinking, well, if you go to California and then you go to China, do you think that that does it end there? Or can you go on to Asia and can you go to Europe and then you can go back to the U.S.? Or do you think it ends there and you have to turn around and go back to California? 
I get very confused about this. I'm not really confused. They're the ones that are idiots. The Fabulous Sports Babe can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, and RadioInfluence.com.